Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing the... (laughs) I'm trying to figure out the best way to introduce this. I'll go by (laughs) director. Uh, The Sam Levinson film, Assassination Nation. We'll also be taking a look at the 2015 film, The Witch. Uh, uh, Between that, we'll talk about some trailers that we've seen recently that are coming up uh, for films that we think may or may not be worth your time, and we want to talk about them. And before all of that, we're going to get to the news and our first story. Bond 25, the next James Bond film, gets Kerry Joji Fukunaga as new director for 007 Daniel Craig. This is following the leave of Danny Boyle, yes. who was previously signed on to do the film. Andy, you found this story. What do you know about it? Um, well, like you said, uh, Danny Boyle had originally signed on uh, to direct and um, help uh write the film uh they got the writer from training not training day train spotting um and so they were going to collaborate together and then uh for there were creative differences with the producers and so that fell through and so they've uh, locked down uh carrie fukunaga who's done uh recently did beasts of no nation and of course is well known for true detective season one Right, they'll also be using uh, former writers from the 007 series, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, who I want to say wrote Skyfall, though they might have done Casino Royale. I could have that out of place. But either way, I love both of those movies. Why is this Why why is this particular news around Bond 25? Because, well, I mean, go ahead. Well, first of all, they after they lost Danny Boyle, they had a hard time finding anyone. They met with lots of directors and just couldn't nail anyone down. Um, and so when, a pro- when that happens to do a project, that can kind of be a negative sign, but to lock down a great director like Kerry Fukunaga, who's done really great work both in TV and in film, I think is a really big step. And I've loved everything he's done, so I'm excited to see his take on uh, this franchise. Right. It's also worth noting that Danny Boyle left due to creative differences, and Mr. Fukunaga did that with his last film. He actually left due to creative, creative differences. That was it. He was supposed to direct that movie, and he left that due to creative differences. And when that happens, it reminds me of... Edgar Wright leaving Ant-Man because that was a thing he left right. Ant-Man due to creative differences to me at least from there that seemed like such a cool idea I was like man that'll be neat Edgar Wright doing Ant-Man the way he wants to do it Marvel's on board and then it falls through and that's a bummer it was the same with Kerry Fukunaga leaving it it is the same with Danny Boyle and the train spotting author leaving uh, Bond 25 all of those sound like really neat ideas and it's it bums me out that none of those are going to happen but we've gotten pretty Pretty decent results, regardless. Like yeah. it seems like you still make uh, you still make a decent film um, if you've got a good idea. And, and it bums me out when people leave. But like that being said, this does seem like a neat idea. I mean, he made the first season of True Detective. That was cool. He didn't like that. Yeah, and also it, it's important to remember that franchises. Uh, you know, you're probably in a little bit of a box uh, when you sign on for a big franchise film like that. Uh, you're only going to have so much leeway creatively. Something that is uh, interesting to me, he is the first American director of a Bond film. Yes. Hard to believe. 24 Bond films, and we haven't had an American director yet. Yeah, That's 50 years of Bond films. Surprising, all, yeah. All British directors. And uh, we don't have any news uh, on, on who is playing Bond, really, because it's still Daniel Craig. Surprisingly, because after Bond 24, many of us might remember he made a comment about slitting his wrists before oh, yeah. he played James Bond again. That's right. He's still in it, so I, think I don't this know might what be, that means. I'm, but yeah, I think it might be his, his last one. This mm. might... I think I read that somewhere. This yeah, is the end of the contract. There's been plenty of speculation about who may pick up Bond after him. Uh, honorable mentions in there, for anybody curious, were Tom Hiddleston for a while was the big one. People thought he would do it. Uh, Tom Hardy, I know, was a big pick. Idris Elba was the hot <laughs> that He's the been rumored for shot. like five years. I know. He even, he even tweeted about it at one point. Um, I, all... 
great picks for me. I don't know who will do it after after Daniel Craig, but I think it's safe to say this is got to be his last yeah. to the point uh this is back to the idris elba thing i was listening to uh, an interview with him talking about his new film yardy um and he <laughs> they talked about he had expressly written in his writer not to ask him about bond that's great <laughs> he's got to be so sick of talking about it and i can't blame him if you don't know anything right like what, what, do, we, what do you expect people to think so yeah. uh the next story we have overall star wars production is slowing down as lucasfilm and disney regroup it's rare that i want to stand and applaud for a story on the news but this would be one of those times andy what do you think about this well i think this is the right move you know uh, lucasfilm looked at Marvel's success and saw them cranking out three to four films a year and said hey everyone loves star wars we can do that too and i think they could if it was done the right way but i think that that they've kind of tied themselves um into the original trilogy story and everything's got to tie into that and so i think they really just limited themselves creatively and that made for some stale films particularly after solo this is when this is all kind of coming up right i I think they did a great job of announcing this uh bob Iger, the current ceo of disney and addressed this in a long-form interview with the hollywood reporter uh there's a direct quote but to just kind of sum it up yeah he basically said i made this decision it was entirely on me to to get them going this fast and I think that's a mistake, and now I want to slow it down. He did a great job of owning it. I think the House of Mouse got with Arrow today by great leadership, and Bob seems to be playing into that. Like, I'm, I'm going to own this. this. This comes from the top. We're slowing them down. We're going to take a step back. We're going to work it out. And that's something I've been talking about them doing for a long time. I think yeah. it's a great idea. And I, and I think the films that we're going to lose or that will be put on hold are the anthology ones. Um, you know, we're going to... They, they were talking about a Boba Fett movie, about Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, uh, these kind of one-off fan favorites. Uh, so those are going to be put on hold. There is still some uncertainty about Ryan Johnson's trilogy and also uh, uh, D.B. Weiss. Um, the writers of Game of Thrones are also doing a trilogy. So I have no idea what the status of those or the timeline is. I, they're probably still happening, but they're way down the line. And I know that Disney is now really focusing on their live-action series, which will... Um, air as part of their streaming service. Right, and that'll be put together by... John Favreau. John Favreau, that's it. Uh, yeah, it's a smart move. Uh, Disney paid, what, $4 billion for Star Wars or something yeah. like that? Uh, they've made that money back. Not quite hand over fist, but handily. Uh, they made that money back very fast. Yeah, take a break. Relax. You guys are Disney. You have plenty of time. There's no rush. Like, take a break from Star Wars for a minute. Let it cool off. Uh, and then come back strong in, in a year or two. I, I think that's a great move. Yeah, let 2019 come by uh, with, with December 2019, uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. Um, and then let it hang out. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I think the reason it works better with comic book um, properties is that there's so many here. There's a pantheon of characters to choose from and stories to tell. But unfortunately, Star Wars has been very narrow. And this has been one of my complaints about the series is like, everyone's so attached to the original trilogy we haven't been able to explore kind of outside of that and i think you know this new trilogy that ryan johnson is doing and the game of thrones writers i think that's a chance to do some really new things right star wars is uh and i won't dig into this too much but yeah star wars deceptively narrow not only do you really have to build around the original trilogy and the events where we're in but you also have to have i mean every star wars movie's got to have the same thing you got to have good guys and bad guys light side and dark get a little bit of force probably a lightsaber somewhere in there 
like every Star Wars movie has to have it. You got to have this, the tent poles. You got to yeah. have some kind of lightsaber. Stormtroopers. You have to have that imagery. You have to have the overhang of the Empire and the Sith. Like you can only tell that that story so many times. The, yeah. The the pull to the to the dark side. The uh, in the rebels versus the the Empire. The Imperialists. Right. Like and, you you can't keep doing that every film. And it's a great story. But you gotta let it cool off. That's what made the announcement of Episode Seven so great for Force Awakens when it came out, because it was like, oh my god, it's a it's a return to this thing we love. But if you do it so much, it, people get burnt out fast. So I think it's a smart move. I really do. Uh, the last story we have: uh, Joaquin Phoenix terrorizes a subway platform in Joker set video. This came from TMZ, and this article specifically is out of Collider. TMZ managed to capture uh, some footage of uh, them filming, I guess, the new Joker film, Todd Phillips's Joker film that we've talked about on the show. And they've got uh, Joaquin Phoenix strolling onto a subway platform off of the subway in uh, full, it seems, Joker garb. Like the, yep. the, the outfit, the and he's even got a mask on over it, the suit. Everything you found this footage. You've been following this very closely. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What What do you got here? Well, so last week uh, they re- they released a little bit of uh, footage on Instagram that had uh, Joaquin Phoenix, um, which we talked about the photo last week. But you know, it had some live footage of of him in kind of just a everyday average Joe wear, but then also kind of laid over in what was clearly like the Joker outfit and and kind of face paint. Um, so we don't really see too much from this clip other than it's like some chaos and he's kind of walking out and it's, it's a bit of a reference to the, the Nolan ones f- uh, for sure. But I like that we, we got to see the Joker and it's like from head to toe, we get to see his makeup. That's, you know, cl- it's still clown inspired, but it's something different that we haven't seen before. And I think that's where this film is going to succeed. It just needs to try and be its own, own thing and not not be super edgy like um the suicide squad attempt at joker was and just you know that that's what makes the heath ledger performance so great is they they started from from the ground and said how are we gonna what is our version of this character gonna be right but in defense of the heath ledger joker something they also did is they paid great care to keep him hidden from the public in fact Ah, they, they, they had a spoof campaign remember with like the frosted glass poster and stuff like they didn't do a lot of work to not let you see what Joker looked like. They just said it's a reimagining, and with this actor, you wouldn't expect. And everybody thought, that's weird. And then our curiosity got the best of us, and we couldn't wait to go buy a ticket and see the movie opening night. This one, kind of the opposite. They're kind of putting it right in our face. They, they first had the set photo on Instagram with Joaquin Phoenix in character as Arthur Fleck before he becomes, I guess, the titular Joker. Then they had a video of him in a makeup test, I guess, which is yeah. a little bit more orchestrated. And then there's this from TMZ, um, th- it doesn't seem like they're trying at all to like stop that information getting out. In fact, they're actively pushing it. Yeah, it, well, it, we're living in a different era of the internet. We are. Like, you know, The Dark Knight, 2008, uh, this is pre-Twitter, like Facebook is just really getting started, pre-Instagram. Uh, I, I remember they actually had viral m- websites is how they, they did oh, yeah. it back then. There, yeah, there yeah. were all these fake like Joker clown based websites and it, it was easier to hide it back then. Right. Um, so I think the marketing is just adjusted to the times. There was definitely still some kind of like augmented reality experience thing like people could follow clues or whatever similar to like Cloverfield but you're right. Uh, it's a way to go I guess with marketing and they really want it to be very clearly different from Leto's Joker. Like, yeah. very much so. This is not the Jared Leto Joker. We want you to know that up front, which I guess is smart, but it does make me wonder, like, if this movie kills it, what does that mean for the Leto Joker? I if mean, anything, those, I mean, those films are still, you know, there, there's a Harley and Joker movie still in the works. There's still, I think, Suicide Squad 2. Um, 
so I'm sure we're going to get more of that Joker as well. Yeah, and we'll keep up with that on the show, and we'll keep you posted because we all want to know what the uh, director of The Hangover has to contribute uh, arbitrarily to the DC universe, even if it's far removed. Uh, that's about it for our stories. We should get into our first film of the week. I'm real anxious to talk about this. And I'll, and real quick, before we get into it, I'll tell you why. Because I, 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 I didn't know what this was about going in. I had seen maybe a trailer once a long time ago, and I hadn't seen anything about it since. Andy wanted to watch it. The hot release for this week was The House with the Clock in Its Walls. Yeah. Which... Fun fact, if you didn't know, directed by Eli Roth. And who is it? Universal has done no work to let you know that's an Eli Roth film. I guess because they don't want you to think it's by the guy who did Green Inferno and you shouldn't take your kids to go see it. But it's supposed to be an introduction to horror. It's supposed to yeah. get kids into the genre. I don't know. I was like, it's kind of goosebumpsy, especially with Jack Black. Maybe it'll be cool. And and you wanted to go see this little indie flick <laughs> yeah. called Assassination Nation. And I, I, I'll be honest... I wasn't super into it. I, I, I said last <laughs> week, I was like, this seems kind of dumb. I told Christine before I had to go see it. I was like, I'm going to see this stupid movie called Assassination Nation. And I think that's a fine place to start talking about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so the movie is Assassination Nation. <laughs> All right. So Assassination Nation is a film about... Four young girls in the town of Salem. Uh, not necessarily in Massachusetts, just an American town named Salem. They are uh, born and bred in the age of the internet and Twitter and social media and having your entire life not only online but on display for others at all times. And after uh, everybody in this world becomes susceptible to hacking, where your entire identity, every email you've ever done, every text, every photo you've ever taken, all your social media accounts, everything is leaked onto the internet for everybody in the town of Salem to see. Things start to go awry. Yes. All right. <laughs> it's, it starts with a few key figures in, 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 in their little society of Salem. It expands to a lot of people and suddenly uh, chaos descends and these four girls must fight to survive as long as uh, as well as cope with the hack themselves and what yeah. that might mean for their identities as well as everybody else that's the synopsis andy what did you <laughs> think of assassination nation oh my gosh this movie was nuts it like is, it was so crazy it's so cool <laughs> Um, I, I didn't really know what to think. Like I did see a couple of trailers and I knew that it, it looked like things kind of got really crazy um, uh, towards the end. Reminds me a lot of kind of, kind of like the purge. Um, yeah. I, I really liked, um, I just, there were so many great things about it. Incredible editing, really artistic shots. And uh, you know, we mentioned there's this really great long take um, the messaging. I, it's a little all over the place sometimes, but I, to me, I, I took it to kind of mean the hypocrisy of, you know, groups that hate certain people or certain groups of people. And then when all these hacks come out, it turns out that, you know, like, uh, for instance, early on the, uh, the mayor, like he gets hacked and, you know, it turns out he's like cross-dressing at home. It's these <laughs> kinds of things. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was nuts, uh, but I really loved it. Yes. Uh, no joke. Cause, cause you might think we're kidding. We're not. This movie's really good. Like, really good. This movie is really cool and really good, and it's got, like, a 60 on Rotten right now, and I don't know why, because it's really cool and really good. I would put it on par with something like Lucky Number Slevin, which, if you've seen, you love, and if you haven't, you should, because it's really good. And it's this little movie 
it's like it's like a midnight movie. Like nobody yeah. would see this. Uh, our our theater was completely empty outside of us, and, and a funny happenstance, we both happened to go see the same screening. Uh, nobody's going to see this movie. It's it's not even wide release, and it's really good. It is really cool, and I want to talk about why because more people should go see this movie with a horrible title, Assassination. Nation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so this movie is first off. Almost more a film essay than a film proper. There, there is a traditional story in there, yes, with these four girls, and that's important. It specifically follows one of the girls, but it really does have a lot to say about like the state of America and the world we're in, and and social media culture, and 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 our identities and privacy, and that's what I guess the title is supposed to get at. Nation, and there's like there's like a billion American flags in this movie, and yeah. at first. It was light, but it gets pretty heavy-handed by the end. It's pretty... Yeah. It's very... It, it reminded me of Black Klansman. Very in-your-face, very meta, very this-is-America, uh, almost to a fault. It's a little much. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, and it, it's bringing up everything. I mean, name a subject that's, uh, you know, a big hot social justice topic right now. It's it's in there. Right. Uh, the film opens with this great sequence where it says a few trigger, like it pops up on screen, a few trigger warnings, and then it give, throws a really fast montage throughout the film of huge letters on screen that are rolling through topics like help me fill in the blanks here without hitting the real hard ones first. Racism, male gaze, pedophilia, uh, violence. Yeah, LG, LGBTQIAA I think is the formal term. Uh, drug uh, issues, use. Violence, drug use, rape, uh, uh, bigotry, xenophobia, like it rolls through almost everything bad you could think to hit. Uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment, sexuality, uh, uh, feminism, there's a lot. Uh, and it lays it all on you very fast at the very beginning. It says, we're going to hit all these. And it almost does. I, I, I'd argue there's a couple things I saw in there that I was like, mm, you don't really hit the mark, but it makes its claim very, very, very early in the film. It says, we're going to come at you hard and fast, so here we go. It's rated R. Uh, and it does. It it, yeah. it, it it wastes no time getting into it. Uh, these four girls, the main characters, their names are, and I want to make sure I get them right. Lily. Lily. Bex. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to pull it up. Lily. Sarah. Bex. Sarah. And M. M. Man, Google Chrome is really letting me down right now. Yes. Uh, they they are uh, girls in this high school. They're fairly traditional. The one I should, I should say that particularly stands out is Bex, who is trans. Uh, yes, she's... Uh, yes, transgender actor. All four girls are acted brilliantly, but my favorite has got to be Bex. It is the first time I think I've seen a, a a very openly and accepted trans character as a mainstay, as one of the main characters, arguably could have been the main character in a film like this, and it wears its heart on its sleeve. It does not shy away from it. It very much owns it, and it's awesome. It leans right into that, and it's really cool because I, I don't think I've seen that yet in film, and like it yeah. owns it really well. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that that's played by uh, Hari Neff. Hari Neff. I think it's at Hari Neff on Twitter. I think I started following her yesterday. But uh, fantastic, fantastic performances by all of the girls, even the ones I didn't know. Uh, the main character played by Odessa Young, Lily. I don't know if I've ever seen her in anything. Nope. Yeah, in fact, most of the cast in this you won't know. Uh, the only ones I can really think that you might know are Suki Waterhouse, Joel McHale, and uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Those are the only notable people in this film. Otherwise, you won't know any of them, um, which was very odd. But I thought everybody's played brilliantly. What did yeah. you think of the cast? Oh, yeah. It's great cast. And, and it's it's almost a, a foil to Mean Girls because it's like if Mean Girls were 
more real life. Or and, Spring Breakers, yeah. Yeah. Big time. Uh, I was reminded about, about both those films. And uh, I want to mention, the reason that it gets nuts is that once these leaks start to happen, you know, first it's the mayor, then it's the principal, and then more and more people, and eventually right. it's like half the town, um, things get very violent. Think, think people turn to violence as as a way to get revenge. Like purge or purge level violence. Yeah, yes. ex- exactly. And it, yeah, I mean, everyone's like got guns masks and on like, and yeah it's yeah it's it's really nuts uh yeah the, the cast is great and the, yeah the storyline with uh bex who uh is a transgender actor and you know she has a, a kind of a storyline there's a boy she likes and who likes her football team yeah, yeah yeah but then you know they they kind of get together but then he he's ashamed of it and he's like no you can't tell anyone and that you know that's this whole and again it's this duplicity is the theme of the the, the movie it's like what we what people like or what people want in private and then what they present in their public lives yeah and not not to get too spoiler but i really do want to get into this like when we say kind of get together like really get together <laughs> yeah it, it is explicitly shown uh on screen in a in a stunning editing uh montage with this like really slick music music score put together by I don't even remember the guy's name, honestly. Give me a minute and I'll find it. But uh, it's got this really slick, like, three three camera cut thing with, with red, yellow, and blue that looks real neat. Uh, it's fantastic. And the movie's got a couple sequences like this. The first one, I think, is 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 this sequence here. During yeah, this the house party. Lo- yeah, this house party lovemaking scene. Uh, the second one comes a little later. It's, just, it's, it's this one-take scene that I want to talk about in a minute, but... As far as the editing of the film goes and the way it's put together, they cut this movie with a freaking razor blade, man. It's it's so sharp and like it's edgy and it's cool. It reminds me of a Guy Ritchie flick or a Spike Jones movie. Uh, in a way, in a way, in ways it reminded me of Tarantino towards the end. Like really neat. It's put together by what is the name of this director? Man, like I said, Sam Chrome, Levinson. Chrome has really let me down. Sam Levinson, who like The Witch, the next movie we'll talk about that we watch, has done like nothing. He's got like nothing cool on his record. Yeah. And I'm like, where did this kid come from? Like, where has he been? I can't wait to see what he does next. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Yes. Like it was really cool. Um, really fantastic work by him. Uh, these characters in this movie, they're all extremes. That they're all yeah. on the extreme end of society. The the, the the jocks are ultra mega jocks, right? That are that that are really really extreme. All all of the girls are are, are ultra feminist, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sexualized versions of how you would imagine maybe high school girls are all now. They they all are the very extreme ends of society. Yeah. Uh, the parents are are ultra conservative. Um, it's a really interesting setting for 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 a, a place, and, and the reason it's called Salem, I think, is obviously a callback to the Salem witch trials. Yep. Uh, it's 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 a great way to tell this story of extremity because it's the only way it seems to make sense by the end when it's like yeah. how is how is society devolved and we have people attacking each other but it, but it works yeah it has that ex- kind of exploitation uh, film. big time oh yeah uh, it's de- it's definitely calling back to those those films of the seventies um, we mentioned Spring Breakers it has a lot of that like just like slow lots of music like basically visual storytelling where mm-hmm. you, you're having to w- the story is told by what's happening on screen and there's not much dialogue or you have to really pay attention and it's uh it's just it's a, it's a it's a great artistic choice it really works um there's a long sequence where one girl is getting revenge on someone else who released photos a, of her and she attacks her and it's like the attack takes so long to actually take place and it's a long drawn out thing and it's just it's it's just so overly stylized and it's got such an attitude to it we should talk about the lighting the lighting in this movie is is stunning it is a it, it really is like a midnight flick it, it's 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 like a cult classic like a, almost like a pulpy kind yeah. of feel to it 
everything is hard reds and blues and purples and pinks. Very rarely do you actually get genuine white light. And I think there's a running theme in there about uh, perception versus reality. And I think that's safe to say, like when you actually do get like regular lighting, you'll notice it's almost always in bathrooms. Yeah. Um, or or towards the end when you get to particularly violent scenes, then you get normal lighting. Otherwise, it is always extreme. It is always weird, and I love it because it's got such a cool look to it throughout the movie. It's just super visually engaging. Um, let's talk about the, the long take. Let's talk about the long take. The long take is neat. So, well, please, you, you want to, okay. yeah. So um, kind of towards the, the middle of the film, uh, the town kind of turns on these, uh, these four girls, particularly uh, Lily. And so every, all these people come to their house in like masks and heavily armed and they're trying to find them and, and kill them. Uh, and there's uh, this great long sequence where people are slowly coming up and it's an enormous house. It's like, you know, two, three stories, something like that. Um, and there's people like climbing up fences, scaling the walls, um, you know, kind of, and, and so what the camera does and it kind of swings, you know, around the house, but also up and down. And so you see people walking in and out of different rooms. Yeah. It it pans over windows. Yeah. It'll pass over a bedroom window and then it'll follow along to a bathroom window. And like, it's a real cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it was just so impressive, and it was so long, and I and I was just like, man, this must have been incredible to choreograph. Right, we were talking about it before the show, whether or not it's actually like one take or multiple takes, Birdman style, where it's just edited yeah. together. We can't tell, and I'd have to see it again, uh, but for what it's worth, like it's a really impressive sequence, and just like the editing sequence in the beginning, really... Really something. The cinematography is done by a guy named Marcel Rev, who, again, has done, like, nothing. I don't know, like, this movie is like a rogues gallery of people who haven't done anything particularly cool. And for some reason, it all comes together to make a really cool flick. Now, we should talk about, because we've been talking about how great it is and we don't have much time left. We should talk about the ending, really, and some of uh-huh. the themes, uh, without getting too spoiler the ending, I mean. And, and uh, then things that weren't great about it. Because because there are there are a few things about it that, that are that do hang it up, but really to get into it as far as themes go, because I don't want to talk about the ending per se. The movie does devolve a little bit. I mean, it already starts extreme, it already starts overblown, but it gets to a point towards the end where like people are shooting guns and they never reload, like very clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, guns with unlimited ammo, like extreme ultra violence, which is cool. But it does get a little, like, jump the sharky, I think in a way that's supposed to be, like, the film Funny Games or, like, a Tarantino flick. Like, it's supposed to be extreme and gory. Like, almost um, a caricature. But it does feel like you lose a little bit of, like, reality in there. It's You, st- you start to... It's almost like a black comedy, which is cool for some people, but for me, it, it, it kind of took me out of the story, and it, it helped the theme... It didn't help the theme of the film, I guess. It made it feel less vivid yeah and that's where i kind of get caught up is in the messaging because i know it's kind of bringing up a lot of uh topics of social justice uh but i i'm not real sure where it's going with it all like i said the the what i took away from it was that again the duplicity of uh you know people what what they have or what they like in their internal private lives and their public lives and then like the hatred that some of those groups will bring but then be completely hypocritical on the inside right it's got a great running commentary on the youth of today the youth uh and and growing up in the age of the internet and how that separates them from uh previous generations and that everything they've, they've ever been is on the internet and their whole lives are on there so when something gets leaked it's like well i knew i kind of figured that would happen eventually like not much is particularly private so there's issues of privacy there 
there's definitely something to be said about feminism versus the patriarchy. There are, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, there are no good guys in this movie. Every dude is a bad guy, either in that he is a pushover to a greater force that he has no power against, or he's out to get a woman right, yeah. in some horrible way. I don't think that, like, even even like Lily's dad is a pushover. Like yeah. I don't think any dude in this movie is a good guy that I know of. I think they're all bad in one way or another. Uh, the women are the only characters who are... The, I would say the principal's probably... Okay. I mean, even he catches <laughs> a lot of problems, right? Like, I don't know. I, I maybe the principal's okay, but but yeah, you're right. You're you could right. argue overall. He, he doesn't get it and questions like, yeah, like overall, it certainly has something to say about men. Uh, also, in the portrayal of their main trans character, Bex, who again is brilliant in this movie. I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, the nation and 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 America and and problems with our country. I had a problem wrapping my head around that, not only because it's a little heavy-handed and there's flags all over this movie. And again, at the beginning, there weren't. At the beginning, I was like, oh, I'm kind of getting it. By the end, it's like every other... I mean, one of the characters is like wrapped in a flag, like yeah. walking around. I mean, it's very much in your face. And in a way, that that hurt it for me because to me, it felt like this was a movie more about... And maybe it's because I'm born and raised in America. More about the human condition and less about America. I was like, this yeah. is less. This is all less a product of land of the free and home of the brave, and more of a product of like this is where humanity is inevitably going to end up, like yeah, where right. everything's on the internet. Yeah, these problems you could this could happen in you know in, in England or Germany right. or Russia. They like, may be a few years behind us because of freedom and rights and and that stupid meme law they've got. But <laughs> but like. Uh, yeah, this could have happened arguably anywhere. This is no by no means stuck on America, which is why I think. Uh, that that hurt it a little bit for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also just uh, it's a hair. Long, it felt long to okay. me. Just just a, just a little bit, like because it it starts <laughs> to ramp. It starts to ramp up. I feel like it hits the third act too early. Like in a weird way, it starts to ramp up like about halfway through the movie, and it's it's just it makes for a really long third act. It does. It, the the third act is a little bit drawn out. Yeah, and it, again, not not to say that's bad. Arguably, that 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 one long take sequence is really the kickoff, which is what's great. But. Uh, by the end of the movie, like I said, it, it jumps the shark. You you get Tarantino levels of violence and and kind of goofy approaches to firefights and stuff, which kind of hurt it. And you get this weird sequence in the middle where you get a, a jump of time a week. And I really felt like that hurt it. I'm like, you really kind of jumped around a lot that you should have had to have just explained that you didn't. You, you yeah. just got to skip a whole lot. For no reason. And, like, I, again, it's a very stylized film. It's very meta. Like, it's very in-your-face about this, and it doesn't hide. But to me, I'm like, I kind of would have liked to have seen that more. I guess what I'm saying is I could have stood for the movie to be a bit longer had sequences been tightened up a little bit. Not to say that's a slide against the editing. Uh, I also wasn't super impressed by the main story of the four girls. I hate to yeah. say that. But it's just a little like it's a little too tongue in cheek, just a little bit. It's like it's because because frankly, like the plot is kind of terrible. Like the what's the plot really on on its face? It's it's a leak happens, people lose their mind. Yeah, four girls who are who are internet whizzes uh, are, are around when when half the town gets leaked and oh everybody went crazy and we have to get out a lot. It's pretty dumb. Like on its face, right. it's that's a pretty, the exploitation part. Yes, uh, but that. I struggled with that, but there's so much about this movie that I liked that by the time I got to the end, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was, I was stunned at how much I enjoyed yeah. this movie. Uh, last thing I wanted to say before we get to recommendations yeah. is uh, credits. 
So when the credits roll and the smoke clears, there's this great sequence of a of a marching band um, from what looks like a historically black college university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, very very you know entertaining wild uh, marching bands, and they do this great rendition of Miley Cyrus's "We Can't Stop." Yep. Um, and it it's a really long extended sequence, and it's really great. Like it just ends the movie. It's and, one it's and, one take again. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant like it's such a cool stylized and they and they march through like the remnants of this town with like smoking cars and like it's such a cool bit like there's so much about it that i like and and um man i i I, i'm gonna have to see it again andy what did you think of assassination nation um well yeah i I think you mean what what would i recommend it yes would you recommend assassination (laughs) nation yeah um yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, there's a lot in a lot in there uh, as far as the messaging and about social justice topics and things that are very relevant today. Um, just like as a film, it works so well from you know things like editing and color and score and action. It, like I said, it's got some issues with with plot and messaging, but the rest is so good that I, I just went with it. So I would definitely recommend it. Man, I I do not have enough good things to say about this movie. Uh, it, it is it is rare that I feel like we watch a movie on the on this show that I'm like, oh my god, it was so great. But seriously, going in expecting so little, I came out having enjoyed so much. It is so cool. Uh, the the name is terrible. I don't know why it's got a bombed out score on Rotten, and I'm I'm gonna look into it and try to figure it out to see what people saw that I didn't. Um, it, it is such a neat flick. You you should absolutely go see it. Do not go see it with your family. That's important. Oh gosh, no. Maybe not a good date night movie because again, uh, there, there's there's some pretty explicit sexual scenes in this, and also some pretty graphic violence. It's rated R. Very harsh language. Um, yeah, I, w- I was gonna say like the the trigger warnings are somewhat tongue in cheek, but also somewhat not. Yeah, they're, they're all there, to be fair. So, you, yeah, I mean, you might want to, if you think that might be an issue or for you or for someone you know, you might want to yeah. look up what the why it's rated R. There's only one, I think, that isn't in the film. Uh, I, I, and and to, to not beat around the bush, that's that's rape. Uh, did it say attempted? Did it say attempted? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, then that's in there. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and, and in a very, um, much like that awkward scene in Bo Burnham's eighth grade, when you remember uh, yeah. L Ellie is her name is is with this this one kind of character and you get the insinuation of what could happen but then it doesn't yeah and Burnham said when asked about it in an interview he said the audience getting the feeling of it is arguably just as good as it actually happening without having to have your characters go through that that's how it feels in this movie to me at yeah least. yeah I was like that was just as good as actually doing it in a horrible way just as bad as actually doing it. I don't know but Assassination Nation super cool I I I sincerely hope it comes to Netflix or Amazon or something uh, so you don't have to pay the price of admission and it's readily available in your home because that's when I'll be watching it. It is really cool. What a film. Bold cinema. <laughs> that's right. Bold cinema. All right. And with that, we should move on to our next section. You want to do it or should I? Uh, welcome to the trailer park. So our first trailer uh, that we're going to be looking at is Captain Marvel. I'm not what you think I am. Uh, this is, uh, oh gosh, I'm just excited. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm re- just excited. I, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, we have been looking forward to the Captain Marvel film. This is, uh, not DC, um, Marvel's first kind of female led, uh, superhero film. It looks really great. Everyone's really excited about Captain Marvel. Finally get to see this trailer. It looks awesome. It, Marvel just does that great thing of getting you pumped up, getting you, even if something's not great, like, because, 
uh, I think it was Avengers Age of Ultron, like wasn't all that awesome, but it had an awesome trailer. And so they've done it again. Like I'm so excited to see this movie. Yeah, I, I, I just like every other every Marvel movie, Andy sees the trailer and goes, I'm so excited. And I see the trailer and go, ah, how good could it be? <laughs> yeah, it looks cool. But as, as we build up to it, another trailer will come out and I'll get more excited. To be fair, I was particularly into this one. This was one of those trailers you and I both saw, like the day it came out, the hour it came out. It was posted on Reddit or Twitter or whatever. And we both sent a message to each other. And we were like, trailer park, like for, yeah, first opportunity we get, we're talking about Captain Marvel in the trailer park because it looks cool. Um, really neat. It, I, it, I get the same feeling I got from like Wonder Woman, which I don't yeah. mean to be stereotypical, but like it, it, Brie Larson seems to play this like really inspiring, cool character. Um, yeah, that I don't know a lot about. Yeah. I, just like Black Panther, I don't know a lot about Captain Marvel. And that's what the the superhero stuff is supposed to do. It's supposed to inspire you, and you're supposed to get pumped. And like Marvel has just done such a good job in their marketing of getting you hyped for every single one of their movies. And um, this looks great. Uh, so what we see though is, is some scenes. It takes place in the '90s. Uh, it's important to note. Uh, I guess Captain Marvel, who I don't know very much about, kind of crash lands on Earth, mm-hmm. is a pilot has powers um they they don't really point out who the bad guys are Uh, again we just see a lot of kind of action scenes we see scenes of her in in costume and um but it's just the visuals along with the music in particular just make it super exciting yeah uh, we should talk about what we see in this movie and then i want to talk about how it's put together which i know we shouldn't get that intensive on on the trailer park but there's some things about this movie people don't know and i want to talk about it okay Uh, you may not know them either uh and (laughs) i hate to say they're warning signs but i got a couple so hear me out First, let's talk about what we see in the trailer. The movie is set in the past a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, starts with Blockbuster Video. Very quickly lets you know, hey, uh, things are not quite same day. You also get an old look at uh, young Nick Fury, which makes me nervous because I'm like, we're now getting to the point where we seem to have a whole film featuring a CGI'd actor as a younger version of themselves. Right. Previously, we've just seen that kind of in like bits in the past. Disney's big on it. And other that in uh, Cap- Pirates of the Caribbean 5, young, young Johnny Depp was in there. Um, Kurt Russell well, in Guardians 2 is young yeah. just for a second though not the whole movie and this seems to be a bit of it is going to be young right. Nick Fury-ish but I think so. it's mostly just his wig <laughs> that's it I don't know man <laughs> Samuel, how old is Samuel Jackson he's, like he's, or something. Se- he's almost 70 yeah. he might be 70 that can't be like normal Samuel Jackson with a wig <laughs> on I don't believe it he's, he's touched up a little bit yeah. you also get a look at young Coulson uh, who again is not that far of a stretch like they're not that young I think he's yeah. still in his 40s or so but uh, you get that, and and Brie Larson just plays this character we don't know a lot about, but just looks kind of neat. I'm not super excited about what seems to be a fair bit of exposition. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's the origin movie, right? And, and you got to have that in there to get people. You got to have oh, what are my powers? Responsibility. But I do like the setting. Like it's got a little bit of that retro, almost uh, Stranger Things kind of feel. It feels familiar, but also a little bit foreign because it's kind of in the past, and that's cool. People mm-hmm. like that. It's a little nostalgic, and people go for it. Uh, I, I do want to talk about how this movie's put together. Cinematography is by the guy who did, his name is uh, Ben Davis, who did Avengers Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, wow. Just a slick, slick movie, by <laughs> the way. We talked about it on this show. And I did want to talk about the directors. Or there's two. Which again, warning sign number one, two directors. Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Okay. I'm not sure what they've done, but when you get two directors on a movie, it freaks me out. Almost as much as the writing credits. Andy, if you count... The original writers of the Marvel series. This movie has nine eight, eight, writers. Nine. Good lord. 
nine writers for one movie that's not good usually it's like one or two so uh yeah. so two of those are comic book writers right removing the comic book that's writers, still seven that's seven writers so i don't know what that means but like this movie's gonna take a tumble i know that so uh, one of the things i wanted to talk about is that uh so we're gearing up for the marvel's first female-led film mm-hmm. um which is I mean, sadly behind DCs and it's taken them 10 years to get, get one out. So it's definitely a step in the, in the right direction. But I think what's really exciting is that this set, this comes out in, I think it's April. So it sets up for infinity war part two, mm. where it, it's heavily insinuated that captain Marvel is coming, is who is going to save us somehow, from, from somehow Thanos. involved, assuming captain Marvel, of course, didn't get ashed, but yeah, I guess we got a 50, 50 odds on that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think that's important that the hero is g- going to be a female led character. It looks like, yeah, it, it just looks neat. It looks like it's got a cool energy to it. I'm more excited about this. Than I am about stupid Aquaman. So for what <laughs> it's worth, uh, I think Captain Marvel will be worth our time. We'll cover it on this show, of course. The next film we need to talk about, and there's only two more of these, I swear, we're getting through them. Uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. A Netflix release, Andy. Yes. Yes. Uh, and also theatrical, which is worth mentioning. And, and honestly, as much as I love the idea of watching this at home on Netflix as soon as I can, we may go see in the theater for Yeah, for I would the prefer show. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, man, I don't know how Joel and Ethan Cohen agreed to do a film on Netflix, but I love that they're doing it. I and, love it. Like, and they're pushing. The reason they're doing it in theaters is so they can be eligible for Oscars. Mm. Which I mean, it's the Coens. It's a western. It probably will be. This is an anthology film. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. it's a number of stories, as I understand it. Yes. I don't know how many. I'm, I'm going to no. assume three. Uh, it's funny if you kind of look if you kind of look at the IMDb rundown of the cast, you can kind of see there's at least five in here that oh, I'm wow. looking at. Yeah, because you can see different different actors or actresses and what segment they're in of it. So it kind of breaks it down. Like here's a few. They're titled uh, at least on uh, uh, IMDb. You got some interesting characters in here. Interesting people. You got David Crumholtz, James Franco, Liam Neeson, uh, Brendan Gleeson, Zoe Kazan, Stephen Root. Tom Waits is in yeah. this movie. Tim yeah. Blake Nelson. Uh, definitely some some Coen Brothers connections because that's what they always do. They always get wacky people in there that somehow know them from somebody from somebody who uh, connected them in Hollywood, and it's it's cool. Gives a good feel. Yeah. So we we've seen that, that the the Coens can do the western. They can do traditional western and neo western. And so I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, one of the things I didn't realize there were five different. Uh, storylines it looks are stories right um so what i imagine we'll see is actually lots of uh kind of overlapping of characters like people we see in story one will might pop up or walk through story three that kind of thing i imagine i that's what i would like to see anyways yeah and 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 i like at least in the trailer there's this character uh who kind of narrates the trailer called the the a distractor, I think, is what he calls himself. He seems to be sitting on a train car or something. And he says right, he yeah. tells stories to people, and people like to imagine themselves as part of that story. And I hope, in classic like Cohen meta thing, that's like a that, that's a character that links all the stories. Maybe he's the one telling them. Maybe he's in one of the stories. I have no way of knowing, but it's a very artistic kind of stylized trailer, and I love the look of it. Yeah, and we we get um, it, well, it's very humorous, is what I wanted to say. You know, also so, true. So it's it's a very gritty looking western, but it's also tongue in cheek. Like Tim Blake Nelson, uh, he strolls in as is the guy who's like he's dressed in all white and literally every, solid white. In, yeah, in, in, in the desert, man in, after in, my own heart. Right, and yeah. uh, 
and and comes in and everyone you know doesn't think he's a gunslinger and then he turns out to be this great gunslinger and so we you know there's there's another cut in the trailer where james franco is on the gallows for what looks to be more, a second or a third time and, right and you you know some guy's panicking next to him and he goes oh your first time mm-hmm. yeah very very cartoonish similar to uh nick cage's character in raising arizona yeah. Very, very like goofy kind kind of satirical look at this stuff. But again, the Coens know westerns. They can do westerns yeah. before or after. Like so, being able to tell just a few stories in this universe like seems really neat. And yeah. it looks sharp. A lot of it just looks really cool. Yeah, and it's it's nice that it won't. You know, it's more lighthearted. You know, things like uh, not No Country for Old Men. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Sure. And you know, more in that vein, and less or so, no, no Country for Old Men. Certain parts of True Grit. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Uh, the last movie we need to talk about is a movie that's already out, uh, oddly enough, but the second part is on its way. Best Friends, Volume 1. Trust me, friendship be for money. Can you say that? Yeah. This is the new, not really Tommy Wiseau film, but he's kind of the star, so essentially Tommy Wiseau film, right? Yeah. Starring Tommy Wiseau and Greg, Greg Sestero of the room fame greg sestero of course was in the room then wrote the disaster artist which got turned into a film starring james franco and bill J. dave franco dave bill franco dave franco who, who the hell's bill franco <laughs> starring james and dave franco we covered that on this show this is their essentially correct me if i'm wrong spiritual follow-up yeah not, not a direct sequel doesn't seem to be any kind of successor per se but it stars the two of them in a film called best friends it is a film in two parts whatever that means uh, and it's definitely a stylized trailer. Yeah, what do, yeah. What do you what do you got? Well, you know, we we get a lot of elements from the room. They're, they're these two guys who meet in L.A. and kind of uh, don't know each other, but strike up this great friendship. But then it uh, there's a lot of things that I don't know how they get there. But there's violence, there's kidnapping, there's gunshots, there's fights. You know, so there's all these kind of action th- things that happen, and it's not really explained how, how we get there. Right. Uh, all I know about it, I haven't seen it, and again, this is out. This already came out. I think you can buy it on iTunes or something. Part two is on its way, which is why we're talking about this now. Uh, a drifter, who is Greg Sestero, befriends a quirky mortician, who is obviously so. <laughs> obviously. And they form an unlikely business partnership, but they develop paranoia somewhere along the way, and they're forced to come to terms with the fragility of friendship and loyalty. It's not directed by either of them, whereas The Room was time it was so. This is directed by Justin McGregor, who also did... Uh, nothing good. Godly, <laughs> yeah. He did Generations and The Founder Effect. I, I have not seen either of those. Uh, I don't know. It's a two-part film, and, and I do want to address lot, that for yeah. a second. How do you feel about that? Well, okay, so, two so, parts. so part one is an hour and a half, so the, the whole thing is probably a three-hour affair. Um, I mean, you just don't know what to expect from, from these guys. It, in one, On the one hand, I do want to see... Tommy was so in like a real movie, uh-huh. like to see what it did. I mean, I imagine he still kind of plays him himself, um, but still, yeah, I, I'm anxious to see where it's going to kind of go. Yeah, it, it's got to be tough because again, it's not directed by the guy who did the room, which is Tommy was so you can tell just by looking at the trailer, like it's just, it's just better quality all yeah. around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but you don't get any real look at the plot in the trailer. And that makes me wonder if you're going to follow the room with anything that's even supposed to be close to it, even if you star the same two people, uh, and it's kind of tongue in cheek, look at it. Um, what do you go for? Do you try to be like a spoofy B movie or, or do you try to play it straight? 
and try to make like an actual film. And I think if you're going to do it, you go actual film. Yeah, that, and that's what it looks like they're going for. So it looks me. like, yeah. You can't, we've talked about this, you you can't redo The Room. The, the Room no. is this brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant disaster. Of, of unintentionality. Yes, yeah, that's why it's called, the the, 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 the biography is called The Disaster Artist. Like it is, yeah, it is, is this once in a lifetime accidental lightning in a bottle feature and, and you can't redo that. So the, I don't think this is trying to do that. I think it's trying to do its own thing. I think part two will be a continuation of that. And personally, if I'm going to watch it, I'd like to see double feature. I'd like to see them both together. Yeah. That's why I think it's good to talk about this now. Um, but yeah, any other thoughts on Best Friends Volume 1 before we move on to your film of the week? Um, no, not really. Other other than it's, I'm interested to see Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau do a real film. And maybe this is what, maybe this is, will be what they wanted to do back in 2003 or whenever it was that they built are built made the, made the room yeah you know for them to actually make a real big real hollywood movie <laughs> right uh, they've got the fortunality of course of being characters so even if people even if it's bad people will still like it cult fans of the room will love whatever they make and i think right. that's great for them right absolutely so there's an audience no matter what and with that that wraps our trailer park segment uh next up andy the witch God, my Lord, and now begin, oh, help me, and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant, thou shalt be. From evil, I will turn to thee. None ever shall destroy my faith. For I repentant, thou shalt be. Oh, God, my Lord, and now begin, oh, help me, and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant, thou shalt be. From evil, I will turn to thee. Um, so, man, I really love this movie. <laughs> It, okay, uh, just going right it, for it. Yeah, I'll I'll do the uh, the summary in a second. Yeah. Um, no, it was really proper scary. So let me give a little background. So I I completely missed this. Like it just somehow flew under my radar. I had not seen a trailer. Did not see the movie. I'd heard a lot about it in the last couple of years, and it's this great new new classic horror movie. And then it was Anya Taylor Joy's like kind of big breakout role. Who was also in Split. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and Thoroughbreds. Uh, ah. Yeah. So. I, I actually went into this a little skeptical and I was like, ah, you know, how good can, can it really be? Um, but no, I, I love this. It is so creepy. It does what it, what I talk about. Um, good horror always does, which is create atmosphere and mood that just puts you on edge the entire time. Right. Um, let's talk about what the film does well. First, I should say what I thought. Um, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Hadn't seen it before this. And you had, right? This no, your- I had not. Really? It's your first time yeah, watching yeah. it? Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you'd yeah. seen this before. Yeah, uh, man, The Witch was cool. I, it was it was just like that. It was just like it comes at night or what probably would have happened with Hereditary. It's one of those horror movies you see a trailer for and go, oh, man, that looks really neat, and then totally passes you by. Yeah. It, it either gets caught up in some season where you go see a Marvel movie before it or you just can't find anybody to go see it with you. You don't want to go see it alone. Like, I just missed it. And, and man, I, I really thought this movie was cool. Yeah. Uh, let me uh okay let me do the summary please yeah you should <laughs> before i forget please do. um so this takes place in 17th century new england uh a family has recently been excommunicated from their puritan colony um for reasons that, that we don't find out um uh, so they start off to kind of build a homestead and farm in the wilderness by themselves mm-hmm. and we have mother father eldest daughter thomason played by anya taylor joy as well as two twins, uh, siblings, and a baby. So it's a large family. And a, and a son in there. And a son, yeah, yeah that's also right. Also a son, yeah. Um, so so like lar- five, five kids, good God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's typical uh, of that era, large family to help uh, tend the farm and all that. Right. So they move out to the wilderness, and um, 
there's these woods nearby that they're not allowed to go. They're told to stay away from. And uh, this one day, uh, Thomason is playing with the baby out kind of near the woods, not too close. Um, and she's playing peekaboo. And in one of the peekaboo moments, uh, the baby just disappears. Yeah. It's just snatched up and, and just gone out of thin air. Um, th- this is, and no one knows how, uh, when uh, uh, Thomason's parents accept that a wolf must have come and taken mm-hmm. the child. Um, but secretly, this kind of fuels mistrust and paranoia within the family. And that's really what, what this begins to be about is the kind of trust and distrust between. And there is, um, because we see this early on, there is a supernatural presence. We do see a witch very early on. and uh, But that's not really what the film's about. Um, but I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, that's fa- it's fairly expository for leaving it at that, but you're right. There's a lot to get to after that. The fact that that scene is featured in the trailer, so I feel okay talking about it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this movie is called The Witch. It's not really about a witch. Like, not really at all. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of It Comes at Night. I remember people made comparisons when we talked about that movie. Yeah. Uh, similar to Hereditary, but in a different vein as well. Very mental, very cerebral, very slow, very pressing. Uh, I love first the atmosphere. 17th century New England, great. Really cool. Like, it, it, for some reason, I you don't see movies like this. And it doesn't do a lot of work to, like, establish setting because you barely get a shot of, of the folks actually in town. I mean, the first, yeah. the first couple shots of the film, they're in town, and then they're essentially excommunicated and out on their own. Uh, from there, you're shooting in a field with like a simple house and a couple sheds, you know, they, they put together and some actors, super low budget. Yeah, super easy. Yeah. And, and, and I really appreciate it. And when it's low budget like that, you got to put you got to lean on your atmosphere, your cinematography, your music and your cast, of course, your performances, which are all brilliantly done, uh, directed by Robert Eggers, I think right. is his name, mm-hmm. who <laughs> just like Assassination Nation hasn't done like anything cool. You look him up on, on IMDb primarily, he's a production designer. That's like his claim to fame. This was his first big movie after a short. And it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, well, let me talk about atmosphere. So this yes. movie doesn't have any jump scares. Or it kind of have has uh, yeah. made maybe half of one, but like not really. Best best you get is the kid disappearing. Right. That's it. That's like, yeah. And the, And there's not like a huge, you know, quite quite bang moment where there's a huge like the music gets really loud it's just it's quiet and it's eerie and it, it has a very actually modern avant-garde score uh actually reminded me a lot of uh the score in 2001 mm-hmm. with uh the edward varez um that kind of music of the late 1960s um so that it just helps you to be really off-putting and there's all these uh, shots of the woods when we hear this music and so the uh the woods actually become a character themselves. Um, it's we need to talk about the ratio. Um, it's in shot in one six six, which makes it look really tall. Like there were black bars on the sides, and I, f- I feel like this helps the trees kind of I don't know become part of the characters because they're so looming. They seem so tall. Yeah, uh, it's one of those movies where like just like the Babadook or Hereditary, like the blacks in the film are so rich, like the color and the shadows that you just can't see anything and like your brain starts to play tricks and you feel like you kind of see a shadow in the darkness but like you can't really tell and the woods are shot so dark it's just cloudy all the time in this movie and it's just hard to see and it gives it such an ominous pressing feel and as the movie goes on it almost feels like the woods are just closing in on this family and getting things are getting tighter and tighter and in a shining-esque fashion they just start to 
lose it. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They start to just distrust each other. And it, well, you were watching him when he vanished. Maybe you had something to do with it. And, but you did this and, and like, you were the last person seen with that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of finger pointing. And like, it just, I, I love that, that de-evolution of, of societal character, especially amongst family members. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely has, has hints of, uh, the crucible, uh, Arthur Miller's, play mm-hmm. um of that dis- distrust and and just paranoia and you know the f- what as far as what the film is about like it there's this he- obviously heavy religious element them being from puritan england but there's this whole thing about sin and their obsession with it and there's all these conversations where like we are sinful we are you know we were born into sin that you were born we are all you know uh, like there's almost this ob- obsession with it, and and that's the religious iconography is is really solid throughout the the film, and you get a balance of that as well as like kind of references to fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, um, I guess, the supernatural element, which again is not necessarily ever present, but this movie is is completely covered in a overtone of religion. Yes, God is a very important part of this movie, uh, arguably a very big character. Even though, of course, he never shows up. Uh, it, it, it is <laughs> that's not a diminutive. No, uh, yeah. I mean, this is a 17th century family. Everything is God from the very beginning. They again, they are excommunicated, which is a a, a push out because of religion. Like it is very much everything is God. We are praying all the time. We're reading the Bible. It's all you got. You have TV. You have a newspaper. You got God. That's what you got to talk about. Yeah. The Bible. That's it. <laughs> Uh, and everything they do is very much fueled by that, and because of that, Satan and Lucifer and the devil, and the witch, and 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 Black Philip, this, this goat that they have, <laughs> uh, is 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 all very real and present danger to them. All of that could be totally valid, and at any point, anybody could be possessed or bewitched mm-hmm. or whatever or cursed. Uh, and so they take that stuff seriously. Yeah, it's not a joke. That's not like a, a something something. Like this is very real to these characters. So when things start to get weird, they get weird with it, and yeah. like that that really does create some interesting scenes uh, of of just slow, methodical devaluation. And which in a ninety three minute movie is a lot. They get a lot in ninety three minutes. But again, you only have like five characters. Yeah. So it it moves quick, I guess. Um. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the fairy tale stuff. So you know, we we get a lot of folk tales elements in this movie so we have references to hansel and gretel um little red riding hood uh the big bad wolf and that's balanced with a number of biblical allegories like the the family getting cast out that's kind of like the cast out of of eden you get that there's seven family members that we kind of represent the seven deadly sins you have lots of references to apples and the the point at one point there's a, a literal poisoned apple um you know so there's all this great and just brilliant iconography um, from, from, like I said, both fairy tale sources and, and religious sources. Yeah. Very simple music. Not a whole lot going on. Very quiet. And the movie really does like own its identity of being a New England folktale. That is the, that is the tagline of the film. Uh, the the font on it when it you know before you get started what am I trying to say here? The font of the title, I guess, is two yeah. V's, like New English old or old English kind of look. Um, I love that it just has this identity and it wears it on its sleeve. It doesn't shy away from it. It's not. It's not in any way tongue in cheek. It is. It is a very, very candid look at this family. And 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 because of that, it feels very valid. At the end of the movie, uh, when 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 things finally cut to black and you get the credits, uh, you, you get a great, uh, great bit in there in this old English font that you know the the events in this film are based on fairy tales and stories, but are yeah. you know by no means valid because who would have a history of that? I guess. Yeah. Um, just a. 
I'm running out of things to say, I guess. And I don't want to talk. I don't want to pat this out, but uh, just a cool flick. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that, uh, like I said, it was really good at creeping me out. I don't think I've ever been more creeped out, creeped out by a rabbit uh, <laughs> on screen, but like I was know, not creeped out by the rabbit. That's just me though. I, I was, was definitely, not. well, uh, you know, uh, for our listeners at home, you know, there's, we, it's never expressly seen, but it's insinuated that, you know, maybe the witch, the witches kind of take the bodies of animals to kind of get around or, that's part of how they hide. And there's this very ominous rabbit that um, <laughs> you're, we're not sure if it's uh, if it's possessed or not. Right. Oh, gosh. There's one other thing that I want to talk about, but I totally missed it. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. I guess I'll move on. If I come up with it before the end of the show, I'll, I'll circle back on it. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention before we... Oh, uh, the, the horror, for God's sake. Yeah. The, the ways it gets you. Yeah, because there aren't any jump scares. Again, I know, I know it's methodical and it's paced. I said that 10 times already, but... Like I, it's it's got this odd charm to it because it doesn't it doesn't act like there aren't going to be jump scares. There's plenty of times it could have gotten you. Yeah. But just like Hereditary, it's too smart for that. Like it's not it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna fall back on just a lame jump scare. No, it's all it's all environment, pacing, and it just drags out. So when something does happen, something violent, something frightening, it really gets you, and it doesn't have to jump scare you. It doesn't have to hit you with an orchestral sting. It doesn't have to get you that way. It knows you're already in a position. Or you're lulled into the film and you're sucked into it and then things just happen and you're exposed to the horrors uh, within. Yeah, I mean, there, there's several points where characters are just kind of trapped in situations that they can't leave or can't get out of. And it's, mm-hmm. there is nothing, the the horror comes from that, the fact that they're trapped in these situations. Right, and just like my reference of The Shining earlier, I want to point out another Kubrickian reference, at least to me. All right, hear me out. All right. Uh, anytime you get a particularly... I guess supernatural scene. Uh, you get this crazy overlay of like wailing voices. It sounds mm-hmm. right out of 2001 when they yeah. see the monolith. Yeah, like every time I heard it, I was like, that sounds just like 2001. Uh, but all women, I think. I think there were men in the 2001 oh, like sound of the monolith with like a bunch of men's voices. I think it's all women here, which yeah. is supposed to be. Yeah, fem- and then th- that's that's part. Like, there's this whole idea of like uh, you know Puritan. Purism and balanced Pure with like, purism, yeah. uh, you know, this you know the coming sexuality of like Thomason is becoming of age. Uh, you know, the 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 witches are like the opposite of the Puritans, and we see them they're generally not clothed. Um, right there, there's there's kind of blooming sexuality in, in a couple of the children. That's yeah, really just one of the children, I should say, but. Um, that's present. Uh, there's there's certainly something there. Uh, there there's lust. Lust. There's, oh God, yeah. There, <laughs> there, there's there's a little bit of nudity, but that's that's rare. But when it happens, it's meaningful. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to give too much away. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it was it was a big surprise, really, and I really want to rewatch it. Uh, you know, I, to see a lot of things that I think I, I probably missed. Yeah, I, I hate to say it's a shame I watched this right before October, but it's a good segue into it. Great October flick. Good, yeah. good Halloween season of the which. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, flick like good. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, give it a week. I think, and then and then wait till it's October. You know, turn the lights off and kind of turn the turn the volume up a little bit and, and hang out alone on your couch and watch The Witch. It's a really cool flick. Yeah, I mean, I I watched it on I think it was a Saturday evening, and man, I was I was creeped out the rest of the night. <laughs> like it was just it just stayed with me. I got up at six a.m. and watched it this morning before work <laughs> because I I was traveling over the weekend, didn't have time, and I did watch it. Uh, really cool. Yeah, I just had this kind of zen feeling throughout the day, just the way it kind of got my brain turning and thinking about things, like just really gave me a, a really interesting outlook. 
Really cool flick. Uh, if you're into horror and you like something that's a little different, check out The Witch. It is totally worth your time, at least for me. Andy, what did you would you recommend? Why do I keep asking what did you think of? Would you recommend <laughs> The Witch? Um, absolutely. Great modern horror, very uh, complex, uh, lots of themes uh, like these religious themes and this uh, obsession with sin and then all the clever references to folklore and fairy tales. Like uh, w- one of the things and. Uh, I just finished the series Sharp Objects um, on HBO. And, oh, yeah. And that has a similar thing about, you know, the woman in the woods who captures children. And that's a very longstanding uh, folktale. And mm. it's kind of cool to see that uh, that same theme in this as well. Real quick before I get too far away from it. I know this isn't a TV show. Sharp Objects? How is it? Oh, it's excellent. Worth your time? Yeah. All right. Cool. I'll check, <laughs> check out Sharp Objects. Yes, uh, The Witch. I, I, I really thought this was a cool flick. If you didn't get that from the 10 minutes, I, I just talked about it. Uh Really neat. Again, uh, yeah. If if you're if you're looking for something a little different, a little bit of a change, not a whole lot of jump scares. Uh, if any jump scares, yeah, not a whole lot of like in your face hardcore violence or anything. Just subtle little horror but stuff. But that makes like, it so rewatchable, like, right? Because totally. if something depends on jump jump scares, then after the first time you see it, then you know they're coming. Oh so. yeah, man. I, I the, after the first time I saw Lord of the Rings Fellowship Extended Edition, I didn't want to see that scene with Bilbo freaking out about the <laughs> ring again because I was like, it's this odd. Peter Jackson jump scare. People don't look forward to those. It's not like, yeah, I want to see, I want to get jump scared again. Like, it sucks. It sucked the first time and it'll suck every time after. But a movie like this, I don't have that. It makes me want to come back to it again. Even even Hereditary, same way. And it comes at night. Like, just yeah. all very patient kind of films. Uh, really cool setting. Totally worth your time. It's available on Netflix right now. That's right. Check out The Witch, especially just in, for... Just in time for Halloween. Halloween, yeah. And with that, that about wraps our show Andy, what what an episode, man! It's not. <laughs> I don't mean to say we won't, we we do bad movies on the show. Far from it. But man, like I I I did not know how to handle these movies this week because they're just so tremendous. I enjoyed both yeah. of them so much. Like a, a, a great double feature of an episode. Yeah, I love when, when I see something and then I have to immediately go and research it and go see, <laughs> go look up analysis and reviews and and like see what everyone's thinking or saying about it. Big time. And we've you know we've had a couple of weeks uh, where we had less than stellar films to, it to go review. I think last yeah. week was was that one of those weeks? <laughs> what did we do last week? Exactly, The oh, Predator. Yeah. Oh, and White Boy Rick. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, tune in the last week if you haven't heard that. If actually, I should talk about what we're watching next week. Right before we get to what we're the show and how to find us yes next week uh we got a couple things coming up the movies that are coming out that are relatively important are robert redford's the old man and the gun and kevin hart and tiffany haddish's night school i want to go see robert redford's last movie <laughs> it looks cool it's in like my four it's, uh, it's not in four by three but it's in some weird aspect ratio and it's got a cool font and i'm like ooh, it's edgy robert redford avant-garde artistic how crap i want to see it uh and you want to see night school right is that I mean, where we're at? I mean, Kevin Hart always makes me laugh. I, I, I'm a, I'm see, a I don't laugh. I'm not I'm a, a sucker for I'm Kevin not, Hart. I don't, man. I, I, Kevin Hart's got bits, I guess, but like, I don't know. I, I His shtick of like short guy shouting, I just, it doesn't, doesn't get me, I guess. But <laughs> Gets me every time. Gets me every time. Uh, so we're going to go see one of those movies, I guess, either The Old Man and the Gun or Night School. Uh-huh. We'll figure it out. We'll You'll find out about it next week. I also, and I don't know if we're going to go see this, but if we can swing it, Alamo Drafthouse by us is screening Spaceballs all That's week. Right. Uh, my favorite Mel Brooks film, a fantastic film, a, a satire, a parody. It is totally worth your time if you haven't seen it. So check out Spaceballs. I want to say, and I might be overstepping my bounds here, I think HBO has it right now. 
If you haven't seen it, check out HBO now or, or go. I think they have it. Uh, Spaceballs is cool, though. I, I want to go see it in a theater. You may not see it with me. I don't know. Maybe I'll just go see it by myself. But that's what we're doing. And also, I'm excited to announce this because I've been looking forward to this all year. Next week, Monday, is October 1st. All right. The beginning of the season of the witch halloween <laughs> baby and i have started doing a thing in, in 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 years past where i try to watch a boatload of horror movies in halloween in, in october what a great time I, and like if i could do it and i had a buddy that used to do this and i think it was insane i still do he'd watch a horror film every night i can't go that far yeah that's, but i want to hit some big ones man the exorcist halloween shining uh, 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 Freddy versus Jason. I don't know all of them. I want to do all the horror movies, and I know I can't. But I want to. I want to watch some stuff. Yeah, I want to watch some specific stuff for this show. I'm looking forward to doing theatricals, of course. But on the side, trying to sneak in a horror flick, I think would be cool. Uh, I want to see stuff Andy's never seen before. Uh, specifically, the one I have in mind is is, is David Cronenberg's Videodrome. I think you're uh, gonna right, yeah. I think you're gonna hate that movie, and I love it. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, I, I am looking forward to Halloween, man. So I want to come back next week strong with a list of four or five films I plan to watch each week. Uh, and, and what I want to watch, watch them with me. We probably won't talk about them on the show, but I want to do some quick stuff. October, man. The season of horror. It's as good as it gets. It. Yeah, it's great. Spooktober. If you want to be involved with the show, if you want to tell us what you thought of a review, if you thought we did a great job, if you thought we did a terrible job, if you want to recommend a movie to see, if you want to talk about a movie we already saw, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can find us at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can find us on Facebook at offscriptfilmreview, on Twitter at offscriptreview, on Instagram at offscriptfilm. Honestly, I kind of made up a couple of those, but I think there's somewhere like that. Just, just go look and search. <laughs> we'll be around. You throw us a Google and throw us a rate and review if you can swing it. Tell your friends, like, subscribe, share, hit that notification bell. Do everything you got to do from all of us at Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.